MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, May 19th, 2021. Today, the investigation into Rudy Giuliani has a broader scope than previously reported. Kevin McCarthy helped water down the Insurrection Commission, then refused to vote for it. The DA calls the murder of Andrew Brown justified. The attorney for Jacob Chansley goes off the rails. Rooting out extremists in law enforcement is proving to be harder than initially thought. A super PAC for Senator Susan Collins of Maine is under federal investigation, and the Alabama state legislature restricts access to the ballot. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. You were ready for it that time. You were ready for it. I was. That did not sneak up on me. It's nice to meet you, Allison Gill. (laughs) I know we're 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 fast friends now, old friends, ready to go. (laughs) We go way back. I'm going to be joined by Matt Shuham today from Talking Points Memo. There were some really gross statements made by Jacob Chansley, who some people know as the MAGA shaman or the Q shaman, and I don't refer to him as that, but I'm just refreshing your memory in case you forgot. Yes, yes, yes. His lawyer is as gross as he is, and I'm going to be talking to the person who broke that story from Talking Points Memo, first time on the show, so that's going to be a really great conversation. Uh, Other than that, we just have a bunch of news to get to today. It's been a week, and it's only Tuesday. (laughs) Wednesday is people are listening, but my goodness. I'm so jealous of people in the future where it's Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. We do have uh, a lot of that news. Let's let's do it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Lead story today comes from Swan and Littman at Politico. And this ties into a story we reported on this show at the end of 2019 and again in mid-2020. That old story was that Rudy Giuliani lobbied the Romanian president for the release of a Romanian businessman whose lawyer had turned to Giuliani for help after the businessman was convicted in Romania for corruption in 2016. Hey, gee, how did it even happen that these people are turning to Giuliani? Like, how far are you up Schitt's Creek that you're looking to Giuliani to paddle you out? Well, he's the only uh, dude, apparently, that, you know, fraud guarantee is there, funded by the Kremlin via Furtash, Dimitri Furtash, who is going around the world and helping people who are corrupt claim to be not corrupt. And he's trying to get people off the hook for extradition, like Furtash in Chicago, this Venezuelan corrupt guy that he tried to meet with Benchkowski. He was going through Benchkowski <laughs> the whole time. Aye. Yeah. Well, shortly after he started working for the former guy, uh, Giuliani wrote to the Romanian president, Klaus Johannes. He, I guess he just writes letters. Just You just write a letter to the president. Sure. Who doesn't? And he was criticizing the crackdown on corruption that had landed Popovicu and others in jail for causing damage to the rule of law and foreign investment. He also asked for amnesty for some of those convicted by the anti-corruption national direction, which is called the uh, DNA. Uh, Giuliani's letter was in contradiction to the U.S. official position <laughs> on corruption in Romania. <laughs> turns out the U.S. is officially against corruption. Uh, Washington had repeatedly voiced support for the DNA and criticized the former Social Democratic government for softening anti-corruption laws and interfering in the justice system. Don't take the words Social Democrat out of context here. That's just what they were called. 
probably a misnomer to trick people into liking them. That, this whole thing sounds eerily like when Rudy went after Yovanovitch for cracking down on corruption in Ukraine, mm-hmm. which we already know he's being investigated for. But this new reporting says that what Giuliani did not mention in the letter to the president of Romania was that he wrote it on behalf of the Free Group. That's F-R-E-E-H. You, know, you guys know him. Uh, that's a consulting firm started by former FBI director Louis Free, which paid the former mayor... Giuliani, a retainer to work on the Romania project. In 2018, Giuliani declined to reveal the amount, and his letter is the only Romania-related work he did that is known to the public. Uh, Gabriel Popovicu, which is a Romanian property mogul, who was sentenced to seven years in prison in a real estate fraud case, (laughs) hired Free in 2016 to review the evidence against him. Hey, help me out here. The Free Group found, quote, numerous factual and legal deficiencies, of course, in the legal case that led to his conviction. This is a spokesperson for the Romanian president telling Politico that Johannes never replied to Giuliani's letter. Papavicu in 2015 also hired Hunter Biden. (laughs) (laughs) Hunter Biden had reportedly stopped working for Papavicu by the time Giuliani got involved in 2018. And Giuliani has severely criticized Hunter Biden for his ties to foreign companies, (laughs) including Ukraine and China. Instead of there's an opening, I'll take the job. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, you're not. I'll take it. But damn you. (laughs) Giuliani's Romania activity has drawn the attention of federal investigators scrutinizing his foreign work. It means the probe of Giuliani has taken a wider lens than we previously thought. Ukraine and Romania are not the only countries outside the U.S. where Giuliani has found business. Giuliani was also a partner at a law firm called Bracewell and Giuliani that had an office in Kazakhstan. Giuliani's consulting firm also worked with a state-run energy firm in Qatar. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. And he signed a contract to train law enforcement in Bahrain for their interior ministry in 2019. I feel like this was just the weirdest political mad libs like you just filled in countries. Like <laughs> we were not, we need a country. Bahrain. Okay, great. What about <laughs> Qatar? Kazakhstan. Qatar. Seriously. Yeah. I just, I don't understand. Uh, yep. I mean, I do understand, but I don't understand. So yeah, well, apparently it's a traveling circus. So we'll keep you posted. Uh, speaking of traveling circuses, this one's actually just standing still in Washington. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy announced Tuesday he opposes an inquiry to investigate the January 6th attack on the Capitol, siding with Republicans who have tried in recent days to downplay and move on from efforts to overturn the 2020 election. McCarthy's opposition to this bipartisan agreement, mind you, for an independent commission comes ahead of a House vote this week to create the panel sort of modeled, not sort of, but it's modeled after the 9-11 commission, which would be tasked with investigating the circumstances behind supporters of then President Donald Trump breaching the Capitol. So his opposition tracks with someone that doesn't want to be investigated. The only reason you would oppose something like this is if you are guilty (laughs) as fuck, even though he was present for all the negotiations. And Pelosi even agreed to his changes to this only for him to turn around and not support it, which is really interesting. Huh? Mm. Wonder who he's getting pressure from Mm. now, regardless of McCarthy's feelings, or any other House member's opposition or feelings. It will pass the House. We have the majority. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the Senate. But Schumer has said there will be a vote. Now, this will force Senate Republicans to publicly support or oppose a fact-finding commission, and who votes no will be very telling. Yeah. I would bet mm. uh, there's a Boebert and probably a Green in there, if I had to guess. In the probably House, a- sure. It- in the Senate, it'll be Cruz and Holly. Holly. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, all the... Holly. Yeah. And, and Liz Cheney could still prove a constant thorn in House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy's side. In a fresh sign of their rift, Cheney also told political she wouldn't vote for McCarthy for Speaker if they win back the House majority next year. No shit. Could you imagine if Liz Cheney was like, he asked me, you've got my vote. Uh, actually, I wouldn't be surprised. There's some... It's a mess. It's all a mess. Now, AG, additionally, many of McCarthy's Republican colleagues are upset with him for not agreeing to the commission legislation. He was the one editing this shit. We know that many House Republicans voted against certifying the election simply because they feared for their lives. And I imagine any public vote against the former guy that acknowledged the insurrection would be avoided by House Republicans. It is mind-blowing. How much power and fear this guy still stokes in these cowards. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, there was a bill to fund Capitol Police and Republicans would only agree to it if they took down all of the security around the Capitol because it's all cool and safe. Right. Um, Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. You're just okay. So you're planning another one. All right. Good. Good to know. This is this pisses me off. Uh, There will be no charges. Uh, in the execution of Andrew Brown. Some background here. Andrew Brown was a man shot in the back of the head by police while he was driving away in his car. This is the case where Bakari Sellers wanted to view the body cam footage as the Brown family's lawyer, but was told by the DA, uh, Michael Cox, that he wouldn't be fucking bullied into letting him watch it, and then misquoted some laws to keep him out of the room. District Attorney Andrew Womble said Tuesday that the deputies who fatally shot Andrew Brown last month were justified in using deadly force, saying Brown recklessly drove at the, at the officers on scene while trying to flee. Which is not true. It is absolutely not true. Quote, Mr. Brown's death, while tragic, was justified because Mr. Brown's actions caused three deputies to reasonably believe it was necessary to use deadly force to protect themselves and others. That's according to Womble. <sighs> Brown was shot twice, including once in the back of the head. By Pascatank County Sheriff's deputies in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, on April 21st, when they attempted to serve two felony warrants and a search warrant. Of course, Womble went over his drug history and his felonies and, you know, painted him in this bad light. There were four body camera videos shown to the public for the first time, which showed the entirety of the incident, which lasted 44 seconds from the time the officers exit their vehicle to the time Brown is removed from his after he crashed into that tree after being shot in the back of the head. In coming to his decision not to charge the officers, Womble relied on an investigative report in the shooting conducted by the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation. That report is not going to be publicly released. So the public can't see the report. The public can't see all the body cam and dash footage. The blue wall of silence is alive and well here in this investigation. Uh, I've seen the publicly released video. I have to tell you, Womble justifying Brown's execution based on the fact that he, quote, hit or swerved or recklessly drove toward other officers with his car is simply a lie. The cop who the car touched, by the way, not because the car was going toward the cop, but because the cop had to dive toward the car for a couple of yards just to hit it with his hand. None of the cops were in danger, uh, but they are justifying his murder by saying he was a danger to the public uh, not just the officers, but a danger to the public driving away, which justifies deadly force. If they say they say in that they're if you let a suspect go, that's a danger to the public, then you have you know, you have the right to use deadly force to stop them. And they claim that even though the day before a deputy gave Brown a ride home. And the thing that strikes me is the D.A. is friendly with the cops because, you, you know, by nature, the D.A. relies on police work to make their case. Same with a medical examiner. They all work together. To me, it is a glaring conflict of interest that the DA is the lone decider as to whether or not to prosecute cops that shoot people 
If they don't protect the cops, it strains their ability to work together in the future. I'm reminded of the whole thing about military commanders being the ones that make the decisions about prosecuting crimes in their chain of command. Right. I believe the decision to prosecute police shootings should be decided by someone other than a person that relies on the police to do their job. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for the story. We'll obviously keep you updated on what happens there. Now, this next one goes back to voting rights. In the waning hours, very early, of the legislative session, the Alabama legislature has passed a bill to ban curbside voting. Now, the thing is, curbside voting is not practiced in Alabama. Just a lot of wasted time but became a topic during last year's election because COVID-19 and because of federal lawsuit over the issue. The Senate passed the bill 25 to 6 after voting to cut off the debate. Democratic senators were arguing against the bill, obviously, because we usually argue against anything that's going to suppress the vote. Republicans support the ban on curbside voting because they say it would jeopardize ballot security to allow people to cast votes from their vehicles rather than having to go inside the polling place. Democrats oppose the bill and say curbside voting has potential as a way to expand voting access. Of course it does. Senate Minority Leader Bobby Singleton, he's a Democrat in Greensboro, is arguing against the bill tonight. He said we should be embracing those things that bring people out to the polls. Singleton is filibustering to try to block a vote in the Senate. Now, last year, some voters and advocacy groups filed a federal lawsuit challenging some Alabama voting laws as overly restrictive during the COVID-19 pandemic. A federal judge ruled that counties should be able to offer curbside voting. Secretary of State John Merrill and Attorney General Steve Marshall appealed. The U.S. Supreme Court granted their request to block the judge's ruling from taking effect for the general election last year. That's why they didn't have curbside voting during COVID. Right. So the legislative session has to end by midnight. Now, a bill to allow voters to decide whether to allow a lottery and casinos had not been considered today after stalling on May 6th, the last day lawmakers met before today. A bill to ban hormone treatments and surgeries as transitional therapies for transgender minors has not been considered yet, but that could be considered before the session ends, before midnight. Tonight's Senate calendar also includes an abortion-related bill. It says if a child is born alive after an attempted abortion, the doctor has to provide the same care to keep the child alive as would apply to any other child at birth. Well, hopefully that filibuster will go through midnight and they won't consider those other bills. That would be wonderful. Yeah, you're right. All right, we'll be right back with the obstacles facing those who want to root out cops that associate with extremist groups. And later, I'll be speaking with Matt Shuham from Talking Points Memo about insurrectionists blaming Trump for their lawlessness. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Made For. We've all made promises to ourselves that we didn't always keep. New Year's resolutions, daily workout plans, becoming healthier, living our best lives, et cetera, et cetera. And I am absolutely in love with this program called Made For. If you've ever felt frustrated with setting goals that you don't achieve, it might be because you're working toward a fast solution instead of creating sustainable behaviors. For me, it's because I go all or nothing instead of step by step. And I found this step by step process is so much more reliable. Made For believes it's time to ditch the quick fixes and start playing the long game. And they're right. Made For is a better way to create new habits that benefit your body and mind. Each month, you receive a kit with a 21-day challenge, 21-day challenge with one small action to do every day that you easily integrate into your normal routine. 
so no huge changes, and no apps and no screens and no devices were required. The simple tasks shift your mindset and behavior slowly over time, so you actually stick to your new habits long term. Made4 uses neuroscience and positive psychology to support positive habits around gratitude, mental clarity, movement, and so much more. You can focus on one theme each month to help you achieve your fullest, happiest life over the course of 10 months. It is the wellness program that you only need to do once. You can see results that last a lifetime with Made4. Right now, Made4 is offering listeners 15% off your order with promo code DAILYBEANS. Payment is flexible, and this promotion applies whether you order an intro box or the full program. So it's a great savings. Go to GetMade4.com and take control of your well-being and use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, for 15% off. That's GetMade4.com and promo code DAILYBEANS. All right, everybody, welcome back. Dana will be joining us again in the Good News segment, but I want to go over a couple of stories here that stuck out to me today. States, as we know, are taking steps to remove extremists, people who are part of extremist groups, from police departments. But legislators working to get these measures passed in recent months have found themselves confronting, quote, a thicket of obstacles and somewhat unexpected opposition. And this ranges from straight Republican v. Democrat, like down party lines, to like really profound questions about First Amendment rights and stuff like that. Now, last month, a police officer in Fresno, that's Devin Nunez's joint, was fired after videos surfaced that showed him supporting the Proud Boys at a protest. The police chief said such ideology, behavior, and affiliations have no place in law enforcement and will not be tolerated within the ranks of the Fresno Police Department. Now, this is from Neil McFarquhar at the New York Times, says, quote, yet when lawmakers in the state recently proposed legislation to give police departments more power to weed out officers with extremist ties, they met resistance. This is California. Brian Marvel, the president of the Peace Officers Research Association of California, said in a statement that the organization supported the idea but not the legislation that was drafted. It would, quote, infringe on a person's individual rights, he said, and possibly prevent someone from becoming an officer based on personal beliefs, religion, or other interests. So the challenge for lawmakers is figuring out how to preserve First Amendment rights while barring extremists, dangerous extremists, from infiltrating the police department. California is one of four states, including Oregon, Minnesota, and Tennessee, along with D.C., that have proposed new laws to give law enforcement agencies more power to exclude officers with ties to extremism. Racist gangs among Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputies have been a problem for decades. In Virginia, Texas, Florida, Michigan, Nebraska, and Louisiana, law enforcement officers have been dismissed in recent years for ties to the Klan. And various agencies have been shaken by finding out police officers are exchanging derogatory remarks about minorities on social media groups with the Philadelphia Police Department dismissing 13 of the 72 officers it put on leave in 2019 because of those kinds of Facebook posts, that kind of rhetoric. There is little to no hard data on the number of American police officers with explicit ties to extremism. Though senior officials have repeatedly characterized domestic extremism as an accelerating threat, we've seen this from the FBI. We've seen that this is under Trump as well. We saw this from Evanina, Department of Homeland Security, uh, National Security Advisors, all saying our number one threat Actually, for probably over the last decade are these domestic violent extremist groups. And we know Joe Biden put together a commission right after he was inaugurated to look into this problem. And we are expecting that report probably either end of this week, next week. And that is the one that I've been talking about where a friend of, of ours and past guest Josh Geltzer is working on that particular commission. So we know this is a threat. Southern Poverty Law Center says it's the number one threat. FBI says it's the number one threat. DHS, like I said, everybody knows. Police officers themselves, at least those who acknowledge there's an issue, 
welcome the idea. They tend to welcome the idea of added scrutiny to drive bad officers away. And major unions in California have supported the general idea of scrutinizing applicants more closely, but opposed the first draft in February of a law that would reject all candidates who had been members of hate groups or participated in activities of hate groups or publicly expressed sympathy for hate groups. They turned that down. That's the union. They feared the legal basis for defining extremist groups was broad, too broad, and that members of organizations opposing things like abortion or same-sex marriage could be, quote-unquote, ensnared by this law. Legislators in California negotiated a compromise language for the bill with the main police union in Los Angeles, San Jose. These are the unions in Los Angeles, San Jose, San Francisco, which then endorsed the change. The unions got on board when they changed the language. The language says, no member of a hate group shall be in law enforcement, and if you are a member of one of these groups, don't apply. You have no place in our profession. Still, some police officers and unions in California reject the modified legislation because of issues of civil rights and freedom of speech. Some legal experts agree the proposed measures are all bound to prompt challenges on constitutional grounds. That's according to Philip Stinson, who's a former cop, who is now a professor of criminal justice at Bowling Green State University. It would be preferable to prohibit certain types of behavior rather than to focus on membership in an organization. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's always too late. Quote, the idea that we can systematically reform police through a bevy of legislative actions in short order, I don't think that's possible. Way to think big, Professor Cop. In Oregon State, the state representative Janelle Bynum began last summer to shepherd a new bill to screen potential officers more closely. Given Oregon's history of opposition to changing laws governing the cops, she and her uh, associates consulted senior police officials throughout the state before writing the bill. Like, let's get with them because otherwise we're just going to be met with opposition. They narrowly focused it on screening officers before they enter the force allowing law enforcement agencies to review applicants' social media posts. Although the legislation seeks to establish a uniform background check for Oregon police officers, it leaves it up to individual law enforcement agencies to set their own rules on issues like hate speech. And so only doing it before the cop applies means that he or she could go online, you know, and and support a hate group or have really hateful, racist, extremist rhetoric. But, you know, hey, you didn't catch that before. They're in now. You can't get rid of them now. Yeah. Anyway. The bill does state that racism has no place in public safety. Oh, well, if you say so, I'm sure everything will be fine. Quote, we are trying to thread that needle to ensure those rights, but also will not tolerate any type of hate group. That is State Representative Ronald Noble, a former small town police chief who entered the Oregon House after 28 years with law enforcement. A Republican, he forged a rare bipartisan effort with Ms. Bynum, a Democrat, to craft the bill. Now, Daryl Turner, the head of the Portland Police Association, says he endorsed the heightened vetting because it left it up to individual departments on how to deal with extremist candidates. (laughs) In Washington, D.C., the new police chief, Robert Conte, has expressed support for an independent screening mechanism for police officers. It's expected to become law by this fall, although there's not a lot of opposition to this in D.C. Conte, as you know, testified last week in front of the House about the insurrection response alongside former acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen and former Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller. Conte believes that the mayor of D.C. should be able to deploy the National Guard, (laughs) and I agree. In Minnesota and Tennessee, proposed laws bar current officers from being affiliated with white supremacist or other hate groups. The Minnesota bill is subject to negotiation between the Republican-controlled Senate and the Democratic majority in the House, however, while in Tennessee, the Republican-controlled Senate has already stalled the bill. So that's what's going on with that, meeting resistance. 
we don't want cops to be members of the Proud Boys, and they're having a problem. Now, from a new story here from Lackland Marquet at Axios. This one's interesting. The FBI is investigating what it describes as a massive scheme to illegally finance Senator Susan Collins in her 2020 re-election bid. According to a recently unsealed search, remember how we were all like, how did Collins win? I thought for sure we were going to flip that seat. God, I thought for sure. Well, according to a recently unsealed search warrant, the FBI is investigating whether a defense contractor, a federal defense contractor, illegally funneled $150,000 to the Collins for Senators super PAC, in addition to reimbursing donors to her campaign. The Collins campaign says they have no knowledge of the donations, and I'm not listening, la, 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 even though, oddly, oddly enough, Senator Collins helped that contractor secure an $8 million government contract before any of these donations were made. <laughs> hmm. I'm sure there was no discussion about it. I'm sure there was no, hey, I'll get you this $8 million contract if you kick some shekels through my, you know, my, my shell company. I'm sure that didn't happen. Anyway, apparently Martin Cow who is the uh, CEO of a company called Navitech. This is the one who funneled the 150 grand. This guy was indicted last year for defrauding American taxpayers out of millions of dollars in COVID relief. These, these are the sickening fucks, right? The ones who steal money from marginalized communities impacted disproportionately by COVID. And they steal these taxpayer dollars like Joel Greenberg did. Well, this guy was indicted for bilking us out of millions of dollars in COVID relief. Uh, when reached for comment about the indictment, Susan Collins probably said, I'm sure they learned their lesson. <laughs> I'm kidding. That didn't happen. Anyhow, the FBI says the CEO and his wife set up a sham LLC shell company called the Society for Young Women Scientists and Engineers, then had Navatech cut them a $150,000 check, just one check, hundred fifty grand, which was then funneled directly to Collins' super PAC. Investigators believe they used that shell company to circumvent the law that says government contractors can't make political donations. Let me repeat that. Government contractors can't make political donations. Why? Especially from the woman who got you an $8 million Navy contract? Oh, but wait, there's more. Martin Cow, the CEO, illegally reimbursed family members who donated to Collins and Navitech reimbursed employees that donated to her as well. So he got his family to donate the max amount, reimbursed them. Then he got Navitech employees to donate the max amount and reimbursed them as well. That's called a straw donation. And you guessed it, that's illegal. Now, it is true that the Collins campaign does require that individual donors confirm they're donating their own money by checking a box. I haven't determined if that box is pre-checked. <laughs> I don't know if WinRed put this together. Uh, the warrant application quotes an email exchange between Cow, who had just maxed out to Collins' campaign, and the senator's main finance director. If you have friends or family members that would be willing to donate, please don't hesitate to send them my way. That is the senator's finance director receiving that email, a Collins staffer. So tell me again, they weren't involved. It will be exceedingly hard to prove Collins herself knew about this, but it looks like the company for sure is going down. Some of these staffers are probably going down. I'm hoping they cooperate against her and produce communications between themselves and the campaign, like this one, this email, but maybe more directly with, with Susan Collins. Because if this kid, Susan Collins' finance director in her campaign, spoke to her after Cal said an email, say, hey, if you have any friends or family that wants to donate, send them my way. I'll reimburse them. 
if that kid gets in trouble, I, I guarantee you he would testify if he had direct communications with Susan Collins or can prove docu with documented evidence that Susan Collins knew about this. We'll see. We'll follow it for you. We'll keep you posted. Up next is my interview with Matt Shuham of Talking Points Memo about the through lines and the defense strategies of insurrectionists. It's content warning for some of the language, just so you know. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Allison Gill, and this segment of the podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. They provide professional, convenient online counseling, and I love it. Uh, we all know time to time, life can get really stressful and overwhelming, and I get so anxious about it. But sometimes we make the mistake of thinking we have to do it by ourselves. We have to face these challenging times alone. That is not true. If you're dealing with anything preventing you from living a happy life, I recommend so much. I recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp provides professional counseling to help you navigate these challenges. And it's not a crisis line or self-help. It's it's professional online therapy done securely online from the comfort of your jammies. They'll assess your needs and they'll match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. As you know, I've had challenges with anxiety and PTS, post-traumatic stress, and I know how important it is to, to feel like you're not alone. And I love how convenient BetterHelp services are. They're available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime, send a message to your counselor, and you get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions and they're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So you can change your counselor it's free and easy to do that, which is so important because you want that right therapeutic match. Visit their website and read testimonials like this one from user CO who says, Wes, about the counselor Wes, my experience with Wes over these past couple months has been amazing. He has helped me set and hit my goals and has helped me open my mind to a more compassionate perspective for both myself and others. Wes is such a kind, caring, intuitive person. The experience has been everything and more than what I hoped for. Thank you so much. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp with a P-H-E-L-P. And join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And you can do it securely online. It's so simple, so user-friendly, and so safe. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Today we're joined for the first time, welcome to the Daily Beans, by Matt Shuham. He works for Talking Points Memo, one of the great publications out there, digital and otherwise. I, I'm so glad to have you here, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. I had to reach out to you immediately because I was struck by an interview that you had had with Jacob Chansley's uh, attorney, right, his defense lawyer. And some of the words that he used to describe or to defend Jacob Chansley's. If if everyone's not familiar, Jacob Chansley is the sh the shaman who I hate I hate to refer to him that way, but just to give you uh, the visual of who he is, he was the face paint with the buffalo skins and the horns in the Capitol insurrectionist. The defense here seems to be that, and this is going across in your piece and talking points memo across most of these defendants, is that you know Trump made me do it, but but this particular attorney had some very interesting ways to put that. Yeah, basically, it's a combination of. He was influenced by Trump, and also he's, his mental state was a factor. Um, he told me that his client, Mr. Chansley, had um, Asperger's syndrome or autism spectrum disorder. And he basically said these are short bus people, referring to um, capital defendants. In, in Chansley's case, it was to say, well, he didn't really know. He didn't really realize what was going on around him, all of the violence and chaos. You know, maybe he trespassed, but he didn't do anything more than that. So. It's a part of a defense of trying to uh, minimize the, the type of charges that will stick to his, his uh, client. Yeah, and he also went on to say something about how the, uh, the insurrectionists had been exposed to large, massive amounts of propaganda over the last 
four years, especially the for the previous year. He 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 said it differently than I just did, but that seems to be not just the defense here for Jacob Chansley, but across many, and we've seen this already across many of these defendants. Yeah, uh, my colleague Tierney Sneed and I basically um, sort of collected all of these stories of people invoking Trump and the the effect he had on them. Out of 440 defendants, we probably got a few dozen, maybe 40 people that either in interviews with the FBI or, you know, their attorneys or in court mentioned Trump as having an effect. And it's probably much more than that. We didn't get through the entire list. Um, And it's interesting, you know, it's not very effective citing Trump if you're trying to get out of jail, out of, you know, pretrial detention. But the point that these attorneys made to us is if you're the Justice Department, you're not going to be bringing all 440 cases to trial. You're going to have a lot of plea deals you have to work through. And if you're the prosecutors trying to work through 400 plea deals, something like remorse, something like saying, you know, I was under the influence of this propagandistic effort that might have an effect. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we know I know I've talked to uh, I've I've spoken to Harry Littman, who you spoke to for this article uh, and several other former federal prosecutors who say, regardless, that really just isn't a defense. But, you know, you you bring up a, a very good point that others have brought up before uh, that I've spoken to as well, is that you're not going to get 400 jury trials on this docket. Uh, don't care how many judges you have. Uh, and so I wonder what kind of a position I mean, I don't feel like any uh, any of the, the the you know the prosecution in any of these cases is going to be like, okay, well, Trump made you do it. We're going to let you off the hook. I think maybe the plea deals will probably contain some other sort of consolation. Right, and it's important to note also that prosecutors have a competing interest here. Their interest is to be consistent. You have 400 people; a lot of them are accused of basically the federal crime of trespassing, and so you have all these different people charged with essentially the same thing, and then various other violent entry or behavior charges. How do you approach these plea bargains in a way that treats people equitably, but also acknowledges there will be some mitigating factors? And the defense attorneys we spoke to said, it's all about making your client an individual, you know, and the Q Sean and uh, Jacob Stanchley, he's, he's, he's sort of a celebrity at this point. He's a known figure um, that hasn't really helped his case. He went on 60 minutes and the judge was pretty angry about that. But when it does come time to negotiate how much time you're going to spend in prison or negotiate the type of charges that are, are going to stick in a plea deal, being known as an individual character as opposed to someone in this mass riot um, could be beneficial in the end. Yeah, or it could also hurt you if people or prosecutors want to make an example out of you. For you know, I know that uh, the New York Times had reported that Barnett, who's the guy who had his feet up in Nancy Pelosi's office, stole a piece of her mail. Uh, he was he was offered a plea deal, but it was it was seven years <laughs> in prison. And, uh, you know, and I know that his defense attorney was like, what kind of deal is that? And right. everyone was just sort of like, well, what kind of deal do you think he deserves? So, you yeah. know, maybe when you have these high profile like Jacob Chansley or Barnett, you're not you might not get a better deal. You might they might want to make an example out of you just because of your public you know, things that you put on social media and that, that everyone knows you as the as an insurrectionist. Right. True. I mean, you know, his point is he didn't take part in any violence is what they claim. I think he is charged with disorderly or violent conduct. I'm not sure they're precise charged off the top of my head. But I mean, there there are a lot of folks that just, you know, marched up to the Capitol. They saw there was a bunch of people in the Capitol and they went inside the Capitol. Chancellor, I think, was part of the early wave of folks. So that might not be as effective in his case. I mean, the point that that was made to us over and over is 
the word unprecedented is used, but this is sort of hard to wrap your head around. And I imagine if you're a prosecutor in the District of Columbia, you're just overwhelmed. You know, court administrators are overwhelmed, clerks are overwhelmed, judges are overwhelmed. So if you're trying to make sense of all these things at once, any little bit of information might be relevant. Now, to do what his attorney did and and tell me the things he said, uh, you know, dropping the R word and uh, saying that, you know, basically these rioters weren't smart enough to know what they were doing. I'm not sure that sort of excuse is going to help anybody's case. But for some reason, that's what he told me over the phone. No, it's infuriated a lot of people, um, especially with pe- people who are on the spectrum or diagnosed or have children. You know, they're, they're like, hey, you know, I, d- I wasn't there uh, <laughs> insurrecting, <laughs> if, that's a, if that's a thing. Um, and, you know, mental health, mental illness is blamed on a lot of, of really negative things. And, and that this kind of rhetoric isn't helping that. Mm. But the last thing I want to bring up, what most people are wondering is whether the Department of Justice from prosecutors are investigating the generals, so to speak, Stone, Rudy Giuliani, Trump, uh, and wondering now if if all of these claims that, you know, Trump made me do it, Trump and, you know, Trump told us to go there, Trump told us to take over, if that can actually be used against Trump in some sort of a prosecution. I don't know what's going on with, with looking into the bigger fish. Yeah, I don't have any inside information on that front. I don't have, you know, high up Justice Department sources. Um, my colleague, uh, Tierney Steen and I, again, we, we have been on this for a few weeks of just speaking to former prosecutors, asking what sort of exposure Trump has, or, you know, people that, uh, said they wanted Giuliani, I think said he wanted trial by combat, that sort of thing that morning. It's tough. Obviously they, they have a uh, freedom of speech, but there are incitement charges in the federal dictionary. So, um, I don't think, uh, if you're a federal defendant facing years in prison, you're not the most unbiased source when it comes to this sort of thing. So to say that I was influenced by the president to be, to behave violently, that, that's a strategy. I don't think it's, um, it's a reliable, um, unbiased view, obviously. Um, and again, if something comes out in court that says, you know, I, I was speaking to, you know, an, a liaison for the president, or I know somebody who knows somebody, um, who knows what sort of evidence can turn up. I mean, you have a lot of people that were there who claim to be connected to various Republican operatives. And if, if any of that is material, um, I'd sure like to know about it. Yeah, I don't know that it can be used as standalone evidence, but it, it sure could be used to show totality of evidence. But we'll see. We'll see if any of that happens. But I appreciate your time. Everybody check out the piece in Talking Points Memo. Uh, Matt Shuham, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Everybody, we'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's Allison, and this Helping of the Beans is brought to you by Fiverr, connecting businesses with freelancers to change how the world works together. In my experience, managing a team and getting everyone on the same page is like herding cats, especially when your freelancers go rogue. But Fiverr Business takes the stress out of group projects by making it easy to find and manage top talent. With Fiverr Business, you get access to an all-star team of super freelancers, plus you get all the tools and support you need to easily integrate them into your existing workflow. That's the big help right there. So when it's time for your next big brand refresh or product launch or investor pitch, you can feel confident with Fiverr covering all your bases. If you're hoping to grow your team and business, I really recommend getting Fiverr Business's help. I've definitely found managing a growing business can get complicated very fast, so... 
I said, you know, for my next project, I'm going to use Fiverr. And I am launching this uh, new network. Fiverr Business has simplified working with multiple freelancers. They match us with the best talent for each project. So stop wasting time searching for talent. Just leave it to Fiverr Business. No more endless guessing. No more endless interviews. Plus, save and share your favorite freelancers for future projects. It's a simple way to set your business up for success and vastly increase productivity and save a bunch of time and money. Collaborating online hasn't been this easy since ever. And right now, you can sign up for Fiverr Business absolutely free for the first year. Get one free year and save 10% on your purchase of Fiverr Business with promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word. Just go to Fiverr, that's with two R's, fiverr.com slash business, and don't forget promo code DAILYBEANS. And today's episode is also brought to you by Monk Pack. Oh my God, so delicious. You know, I'm a huge snacker. I snack on everything all the time. And it's been really hard because I'm keto and paleo, but it has been solved with Monk Pack. And I'm always on the lookout for healthy snacks. Usually the healthier the snack, the worse they taste. But not with Monk Pack. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain less than one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories. They're great for anyone following the keto lifestyle. Perfect snack for anyone who wants to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. The Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars have a perfect balance of sweet and salty and a crunch. So it gets all those bases that you love about snacking. Sweet and salty and crunch. But they manage to be soft and chewy as well. They're just so delicious. And they have flavors like caramel sea salt, sea salt dark chocolate, peanut butter dark chocolate. My favorite right now is the caramel sea salt. It's so good. I'm a huge fan of caramel. And since they're packed with protein and they're filling, they are very satisfying. So they, you know, they hit that craving right in the right in the face. <laughs> right in the craving face. Uh, perfect for a quick snack. I take them with me on walks and hikes and stuff like that. I'm always fully stocked. I signed up for a subscription of my favorite flavors. That saves me 10% on every order, and they ship automatically. It's easy to pause. Getting these delicious treats delivered on a regular basis has been a total game changer in my effort to eat healthier. So try it yourself. You will see. And we have a special deal for listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting MonkPack.com and entering our code DAILYBEANS at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So you get all your money back if there's any reason you don't like it. Or they'll exchange it for you if you want that, too. It's so great. To get started, just go to MonkPack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. And select any product. Then enter code DAILYBEANS, all one word, and check out and save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. All right, everybody, it's time for good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And we're actually, first of all, there's, this is this segment is for corrections, good news, confessions, what the mutt, find the cat, smack a butt, uh, you know, and well, you don't have smack a butt. Tout your hosts, whatever you want. To do. However, <laughs> whatever you want to do. <laughs> but we, we're kicking this one off uh, with a correction. Dana, why don't you take this one? And deservedly so. So I appreciate this. This is from Anne. No pronouns given. This one's on me. And I like learning new things because sometimes I'm not specific enough in my speech. News with swearing is my happy place. Thank you for my daily dose of schadenfreude. (laughs) In today's beans, Dana, yes me, said something that's a common misconception of copyright law. Y'all were talking about someone who had posted a video of himself on 1-6th at the Capitol. Now, and because it was posted online, it's now in public domain. 
This isn't true, at least in regards to the copyright. And this is, I'm speaking as myself, I needed to know this specifically because as an artist, it's important. While it's true he can't claim it's private, it is not in the public domain, which has a precise meaning for copyright specifically. A gazillion artists, including myself, who regularly post their art online want you to know this. Thank you so much, Anne. I realize this is a bit nitpicky. No, it's not. But because I love you guys so much, I want you to get stuff like this right. And I know you do too. Alas, I have no pet tax to pay, but live for what the mutt and where's the cat segments. And thank you so much for kicking us off with that. I like, I I shouldn't say I like being corrected. As long as we're not dating, I love being corrected. So thank you for that. And I like learning new things. So thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Good to know. Very good to know. Seeing as we both, Dana, you and I have posted many comedy clips over the years on social media. All right. Next up from Philip, pronouns he, him. Hi, Beans Queens. Some quick good news. We had an in-person virtual hybrid commencement at my university this week. Each of the four colleges had a section of the campus to themselves and divided their academic programs into time slots. It wasn't mandatory for students to come in person, but only if you wanted to. In order to get in, you had to have a mask and a limit of only two guests. My college was lucky enough to get the theater building auditorium. (laughs) So those of us attending as faculty were placed in the back of the audience seating with three chairs between each of us and told to keep our masks on. Students would show up at some point during the program's time slot, walk across the stage, get the sort of degree thing, pending final grades (laughs) and audits, from our dean. We also had a path marked for parents and guests to take photos from a good angle before they left the room for the formal photos with the university's photographer. It was the best commencement I've attended in my life. The students weren't being rushed, and you could take the time to savor the moment and their achievement, It was great that they were able to take as many photos as they and their guests wanted rather than the hope they got some good shots while being rushed through. Those of us in the back were able to applaud for our students and for once not be on top of one another in folding chairs in a gym without air conditioning. I think our (laughs) dean summed up the experience best when someone's parent didn't get the video they wanted on the first try. He said, go ahead and film it again. This is your day, not ours. It actually seemed like a celebration of our students and not an assembly line of names. No, they should do that this way all the time. Totally. No pod pets, but please accept this Pokemon Go, <laughs> what, Lickitung, next to the 2021 balloon display on stage. The photo was taken after the ceremonies were over, so no interrupting any of the students. <laughs> Thanks for all you do. And I've recommended the upcoming The Bureau to my students. Oh, cool. <gasps> I'm sorry. What do you want me to look? Oh, that's what that is. Lickitung. Lickitung. That is a lesbian character if I've ever seen one. Good <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I have to. Every once in a while, I just got to slip the gauge. I don't know, though. Those look like pretty long fingernails. That's true. Just one, though. On each one. We probably should stop this right now. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to move on to the next one after we say, uh, that's fantastic, Philip. Thank you. I think there's some things that have changed in the pandemic we need to carry into our day-to-day lives. Like I'm enjoying, AG, I love that we've sort of moved into like this European style of eating where people have extended their patios, especially like in California where the weather's conducive. And it's like people are outside enjoying life. Like that's, I don't know. There's some things that are positive about this last year that I think we should keep doing. I agree. I also like the way we had to campaign this time. I think it helped. Totally. Absolutely. All right. This next one is from Ian, pronouns he, him. My good news today is that my mom finally met her granddaughter. It took 18 months due to a car accident, a flight that was supposed to happen the day New York shut down in March last year, and the long wait for vaccines. My wife, mother, and I still got ours within a day of each other when our state's rules let us. 
The little one wasn't even scared of her when they met. Oh, that's sweet. Though my mom bribed her with toys immediately. Also smart. Soon, this short visit will be over, and hopefully soon, the country will be restored enough that they will see each other. (laughs) Thanks, science. Pet tax is the munchkin and the cat that doesn't run away from her. Francine. Oh. Oh. Yeah, my mom used to carry, like, every time a baby would come visit the house, she'd have a, a wooden spoon from the kitchen and just, like, present it to the baby, and it would fascinate the child. That's horrifying for me because when we were spanked as a kid, it was with a wooden spoon. Oh, I guess Uh, it didn't even cross my mom's mind. Yeah, no, it did cross my ass a time or two, that's for sure. (laughs) Sorry, didn't mean to bring up the spoon. Oh, God, I need a break. I need a minute. She baked a lot. It was awful. There was terror in the house. Okay, go ahead. Oh, God. Oh, next up from Deb Rose, no pronouns given. My three kids and I have all been vaccinated for a couple months now. And now two of my grands, age 12 and 15, received their first vax last week. We'll be enjoying our Santa Cruz vacation come June. Woohoo! Ah, what a difference a year makes. For my pet tax is my late, great Daisy May. She passed away a couple years ago at 17. The lesson she taught me about being her authentic self remains with me every day. She's a beagle up in a tree. I mean, I don't know how the beagle got up there. I don't know if the trees, like if we're about to see roots in that picture, but that is a fantastic, oh my God. No, this beagle's pretty, pretty, pretty far up there. Pretty high up, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right. Thank you so much. This next one's from Erica, pronouns she and her. Hi, Beans Queens. First off, I want to send a hug. Congrats on your new podcast network. I've been a Beans listener since late last year and absolutely love it. So I'm sure you'll have tons of success. Now onto my news, which is good news and a pod tax in one. Last week, I took one of our four dogs to the groomer. She's also a breeder and often has people coming in to pick up pups while she's working. But this time, someone came to return one, a beautiful three-month-old golden retriever. She had him for days, found out he had a heart murmur, and brought him back, saying, without a hint of irony, I'm not spending money on a dog. P.S. What a fucking asshole. Also, my Chihuahua pug, Dana, you guessed it right last time, it's called a chug, <laughs> has a heart murmur and I celebrated his 13th adoptiversary on Saturday. Aww. That's fantastic. That's, chug, I mean, chug, chug. I know. So the groomer said, sadly, people getting a dog from a breeder will say no because of even the smallest imperfection. So you like him, you can have him. And I said, um, obviously. So I left the house that morning with one dog and came home with two. <laughs> this is Ziggy. Oh, he's such a joy. He learned to go to the bathroom outside in just a couple of days and had a blast playing with our dogs and cats. And while teaching Ziggy to come, we also taught our cat to come. He figured Whoa. out that after come, there's chicken. So now <laughs> when I call Ziggy, Otis comes darting like a lightning bolt from clear across the yard. A dog's older and take it slow on the stairs. And Ziggy always runs back up and comes down with them as if to say, you got this. Animals Aww. are the best. Thanks again for all you do. The news in the state, basically everything can be infuriating sometimes. And The Beans is one of the only podcasts that makes me laugh while keeping me informed. Best of luck, MSW. I'm so happy for all of you. At first, I thought this little pup was a tripod, but it's not. Because the next picture, it is still an adorable golden. Oh, look at how happy he is. Oh, my gosh. Oh, what a hero for taking Ziggy. Seriously. Who would ever bring this puppy back? I'm so glad Ziggy has you as a dog mom, Erica. Oh, my goodness. What a honey. What a honey. 
All right, next up from Mary. Pronoun she and her. Hi, Brilliant Beans Queens. Good news. We just got our second shot today, and I plan on weird hugging everyone in two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Note, some exclusions apply. Exclusions based on vaccination status, whether or not one is voted for Trump, and dickheads in general. Uh, Here's how I came to adopt the best swear insult I have adopted. A friend's dad was a plumber who swore like he was getting paid per (laughs) fuck. He had two daughters and did a majority of the carpool stuff and had road rage all the time. My friend understood context, so saved one of the swears for when she was angry at her sister. Sister pissed her off, so she screamed, you cut face, at the top of her lungs. Just as her mother walked by, her mother knew that cut was not actually what the child had heard, so dad got ripped a new one, and a new swear was born. I have since told the story to a couple friends who've adopted the term. When a new person joins the group and hears it, I get to tell the story again, which honestly is half the fun of the whole thing. Pod Pet Tax, we have a chunk named Scooter Pie. We rescued her on Epic Pie Day. That's 3.14.15. 3.1415. That's Epic Pie Day because pie t- continues to four decimal places. That's just me interjecting. I hope that's correct, but I'm pretty sure it is. And as it turns out, she will do anything for food. So it was apropos. She finally doesn't give a rat's ass about the bird feeders or visitors we got for her when she purchased our, whoops, when we purchased our house. I'm like, your dog purchased the house? Oh, it's a cat. All right, let me just start that whole thing over again. <laughs> right, because I think you also I think you also had a pretty moment because Pi continues indefinitely and doesn't stop at four decimal points. No, it doesn't stop, but the date three fourteen fifteen Yes. Goes but to the way it four sounded like points. someone was gonna ride in and be like, AG <laughs> Oh come on. No nobody oh. thinks I think Pi stops at five. Okay. Anyway I mean <laughs> I'm leaving all of this in now. So there. <laughs> Three point one four one five nine seven. Look, I know pie. Okay, Epic Pie Day because Pie Pie Day is 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 March fourteenth. Epic Pie Day is March fourteenth in the year twenty fifteen. There you go. Only That's once. hysterical. I love that you left that whole thing. You're welcome, people. <sighs> anyway, funnily, she doesn't give a rat's ass about the bird feeders or visitors we got for her when we purchased our house right before the pandemic hit. But we love them. We installed a bluebird house and have our first little family about to leave the nest. Oh. All right, pick one, cuteness. Pick two, rub the belly. She doesn't mind. Oh, I love cats that are up for belly rubs. Uh, Pick three, bluebird floof. It's a good thing you have a limit on the show of how much can be uploaded or you would have received five more photos and videos. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for all the informative stuff, for social justice stuff, the funny, and just being fucking awesome humans. I really do truly love you all. Oh, thank you so much. And let's see these photos here from Mary. Oh, what a honey. Oh, sunshine kitty. Oh, look at the belly. I do want to rub the belly. So sweet. Oh, and the little bluebird floof. Boy, it took me a while to get through that one. <laughs> oh my God, that was hysterical. Poor Mary just was to write in and tell us <laughs> about her cat. And I'm like, pie, four decimal places, can't read, cat bought a house, dog bought a house. I don't even know what I'm talking about. And next. <laughs> oh man, that was a good one. Anyway, thank you, Mary. Oh, AG, I went, um, I went and visited some of my friends that were camping last week, and it's just fun because, like, when I got there, you've got we've got some regular listeners that you know they just want to tell us what a great job we're doing and just how important it is. So I'm just saying hi to Tinker out there if you're listening. Thanks for the props, and we both appreciate it. So just a little shout out on the air. You ran into somebody when you were camping? Yeah. Yeah, there was a big group of lesbians that go. There's like 30, 35 of them. And I went for the day just to say hi to some dear friends. And 
Yeah, there's there's a few of them there that love love the podcast. Listen to it every morning. Is that where you got the Jeep shirt? They're part of a group called a Bitches with Hitches. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that great? Oh, but I drive a Jeep. It's a Laredo. Okay. So good. Awesome. Amazing. See, I can see Dana and she can see me, but y'all can't see us. I just want I got to- a shirt that says Jeep. It's super lesbo right now, but you can also see through it. So is it gay? Bitches with um, hitches. Yeah. Bitches with hitches. Yeah. And uh, tonight, tonight at five o'clock on Facebook Live, I'll be interviewing a fantastic comedian named Karen Williams, who was one of the first out black lesbian comics to ever hit the stage. She's outrageous and wonderful. So if you don't have anything to do at five o'clock Pacific, join me on Olivia Travels Facebook. I'll share it to mine as well. Uh, But I'd love to have you there. And AG, uh, we'll post it in the Beans room. So thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And again, uh, tag me on Twitter. I'll retweet it across all of the accounts there so everybody can have access to to that. And it's going to be awesome. She is incredible, by the way. Uh, Absolutely hilarious. Brilliant person. Uh, All right, everybody. Thank you. And until tomorrow... Oh, can somebody please get indicted? Fuck. All right. I know we're arrested. (laughs) Dana sent me a photo she got framed (laughs) yesterday. Uh, But all that comes up in my text messages is boom. Boom. And I'm like, oh, ooh, ooh. And, And then I was like, Oh, that's a lovely photo. But it wasn't. I thought somebody got indicted. She, she thought someone got arrested. And now whenever we text each other, boom, I'm like, don't do that because you're teasing me now. <laughs> it's the boom tease. Uh, anyway, everybody, till tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.